part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Honest, how many was that the first time you've seen There's Power in the Blood? That, that was your first time. You've never seen that song before. Okay, Eric, a couple of others, yeah. That is one that uh, if you have a grandma in heaven, she's probably smiling right now because that, that was one of my grandmother's favorite songs. That's probably the first time I've heard that song in a long, long time. So thank you for uh, kind of dusting that one off and, and, and bringing that to us this morning. Well, this morning, uh, speaking of Eric back there, brother, I, I brought something this morning. Eric gave this to me a couple years. He said, you know, one time you were in a sermon and you were preaching about uh, something about a sword. You wish you had a sword. And... Uh, then he brought this over to the house. You always have to be careful when guys approach your house with a sword, though, because you don't know their intentions right off until they ex- kind of explain. Uh, but I'm glad you did, because I, I'm using this this morning, because you know, the Bible says that the Word of God is a sword. And guys, I want you to have this visual in your mind, because when we come to passages that really do kind of, we feel this hesitancy just to jump in and say, yeah, that's my favorite kind of you know, text or favorite sermon, realize that a sword... It, it is sharp, and the Bible is compared to a sword, and that it really does cut, and it cuts deeply, but it's two-sided. And, and as much as you want to go out there against the foe, and you want this sword to work for you against the enemies, and against those things that, that you're fighting against, we love that, but also realize there is a part of the blade that's then pointed back to you. And so when we come upon texts like that we are forgiven in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that is great. And so when we come to the places that we need the sword, maybe we're just under a lot of conviction, or I'm sorry, condemnation, uh, that, that really we're feeling some guilt. And, and really, in the life of a Christian, guilt doesn't have a place. Holy Spirit conviction does, but not condemnation. And so we come and go, no, Satan, you can't fool me with this lie. No, I am forgiven in Christ. I'm responsible, but I am forgiven in Christ. And so we cut against that with the truth of God's word, even sometimes when our feelings are going in the other way. But all of a sudden, then we come upon the passage that says, okay, forgive others as you you have been forgiven. And all of a sudden, we realize that in this sword that we are wielding there against those things that kind of we want to fight out and that we want for our own benefit, that there is something that kind of cuts against us. Well, folks, that's kind of what we find this morning as we come to the second, cha- second chapter of First Peter as he talks about submission. And again, in, in a lot of our lives, that's just kind of a, a word that we're not really one to embrace. Uh, submission is not one of those things, especially submitting to authorities. We see more and more that in, in our culture that there's a distaste for that. I'm sure that there's been other periods of time, so there's been other times in people's lives or in, in human race where people kind of question authority. But we really see that so rampant in the day and age. And we have a lot of kids in our church. And two months ago in November, we talked about honor what is honorable. We looked at what Paul said. And I had a lot of parents come back and said, you know, not only did I need that sermon, but I, I really want my kids to understand that because they're really not getting that kind of message anywhere else that we need to honor what is honorable. It means we honor our teacher in the school. It means we honor the police officer, and we honor these people that have positions. It doesn't mean that those are always the most gracious of peoples. It doesn't mean that they're always Christian, but we, that we respect that, and there's a submitting that we do just for the organization of society. 
Now, where does that all go back to? It goes back to God. God is the one that organized society, and he put people in authority. And the Bible makes it very, very clear that there's nobody in authority that God hasn't at least allowed to be in authority. So at that point, that doesn't mean that everybody who holds this position or that position is Christian or that they're living for Christ, but it does mean that in the sovereignty of God and God's kind of knowledge of all things and his kind of organization of all things, he's at least allowed that to happen. It's a very, very important principle of life. Because if we don't learn to submit to authority, it's going to be a very, very long life. Would you, would you say that? People that are here in their 30s and 40s, would you say that that's a, a something that you've learned? I see a lot of people saying, if you're here and you're in your 50s and 60s, is that something that you have learned and maybe even attained some wisdom that, you know, man, I need to respect authorities there. Even when I don't feel like it, that there is a certain amount of respect I need to give here. And I don't have to base my actions on feelings, but I, there's a principle here working. See, the older we get, the more that we begin to understand that. And that's not because I think that it's man's wisdom. I think that we begin to understand more and more the place of God's wisdom in everyday life. The Bible is a very practical book. A very, very practical book. It is not intention to be practical. The whole intention is the impracticalness of of grace and and what Christ has done for us. And there's this God in our rebellion who would still love us enough to come get us, live for us, die for us, and resurrect so that we could be with him forevermore. There's nothing practical about that. That's just all about God's grace and his love. And yet in the midst of all the writings that God gives us in this love story toward us, we find a lot of practical things. And I would say that one of the most practical things that we see is this call to submission. And yet I am the first one to admit that it just kind of grains against. I don't mind submitting to a boss, to, uh, to a person who is at least as intelligent, wise, and thoughtful and gracious as I am. Would you agree with that? And yet, have there been times that we've actually worked for somebody in the workplace but somebody who was not as intelligent, not as wise, not as gracious or kind as we. And yet they had the place of authority. And that's what makes it so tough. If truly all the world was set up that the people of the highest authority were truly the wisest, the kindest, the most generous of hearts, then I don't think that we'd really have any problem with that. If there was even, let's say that we were still under the, the, the thought process uh, in this country of having kings and monarchies and stuff like that, and it was a gracious king, I think even this day we're going, okay, let's say the prayer, a prayer for the king this morning. And all of a sudden, if it's a tyrant, yeah, after church, let's get together and talk about how we can rebel against this tyrant. And we can overthrow this because we don't want to be under the, the authority of this tyrant king. Understand that when we open up to, to, to Peter's writings to these churches in Asia Minor, and the circular letter that would go around. Understand that when we do that this morning, that they are serving under a tyrant king. They are not serving, uh, or they're not living under a, a king that is gracious. It's either Claudius or it's Nero. We don't know exactly when Peter wrote this, but it's either Claudius or it's the one that followed him, his family member, Nero. Both of those were not good guys. Both of those were tyrants. History tells us that. The Bible doesn't have to tell us that. History tells us that these guys were not friendly people, especially to the Christians. And so keep that in your mindset that when we read these words, 
Peter is writing not in perfect circumstances. And yet what we see is that he really does give us a continuation of what we read just a couple months ago when we were looking in Romans when Paul said, submit yourself to authorities. Honor what is honorable. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to be covering a couple of verses here. Uh, let me go ahead and give you your points, and they're really not points. You know, but, but three things that we're going to look at this morning so you can kind of say, uh, what we're going to do is kind of put this beside what Paul said because we don't know if Paul wrote Romans a little bit earlier than Peter wrote this letter to Asia Minor churches or vice versa. We know that they're contemporaries. We know that they served during the, the same time. Legend would tell us, history would tell us that maybe they even died within the same year, if not the same 18 to 24 month time frame. And so we know that they're kind of, you know, both leaders in the church. They both have actions. And yet what we see here is that they give us a very fluid and a very um, similar action when it comes to how we should respond to authority. Here's the three things. They're going to give us the same command. They are facing the same challenges. And they give the same reason for us to submit as Christians to authorities that are under us. What we're going to see is the consistency there. First one, same command. Now, before we get to this verse, let's go back and kind of rewrite the last two months that we've been in First Peter. Peter gives this only after he has built a foundation. He doesn't just come out and the first thing that he says as he walks in the door is, hey, by the way, guys, that are your, some of your family members are actually getting tortured and persecuted by, by these leaders. I just want you to know, submit to the authorities. He doesn't do that first. What he does is very methodically first comes in there, and in the very first verse he talks about how we are chosen by God. And we could preach for weeks and weeks and weeks about what it means to be chosen by God. Then he talks about how we have been bought by God. We sang about power in the blood. He says, okay, it's this blood. You've been bought with this precious blood of, of Christ. And, and he says that in, in verses 18 and 19. And then as we start chapter 2, he says, you're sent by God. You're to be these holy people out there in this world. So he lays down this foundation, and it kind of all culminates in the verse that we looked at last week, 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race. Again, we see the repeating, chosen. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that, we, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, we see all things there. We see that we're a chosen people, that we're bought by God, and that we've been called to do something. So in one verse, in verse 9, he kind of summarizes it. Then he goes into this, okay, guys, submit into authorities. It's not about, oh, he's just really careful about the presentation. Guys, he's, he's using the logical argument that there is no submitting to authorities. There's no reason to submit authorities if we do not have these things that precede it. The call to submit to authorities is based upon what Christ has already done, that we are a chosen people, that we're a royal priesthood, that we've been called out of our own darkness into the light, and now we're to proclaim that. And he says, you, without that foundation, all he's done is introduce more religious terminology and religious activity to us. And that is not what Christ is about. 
He's not into religious activity. He's into us living out this Christ life because of what Christ has already done for us. We are not here to achieve goodness. Goodness has already, righteousness has already been provided through Jesus Christ and his finished work. I know that's redundant because I say it every week. But guys, it's the whole separation between you and I just becoming moralists and trying to be more, more moral people just for the sake of morality and us truly being the followers of Christ. Everything that Christ has called us upon, even those things that cut back at us, submit to authority. He predicates upon the finished work of what Christ has done. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to see, uh, you're talking about controversial. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Yeah. If we don't predicate that on, you know, number one, we'll get there in a couple of weeks and we'll explain what that really means. Okay. Because I think it's, it's been greatly done an injustice in the way that we handle that text sometimes. At the same time, there's a, there's a strong call there. And that is very, very uh, uh, frictional to a lot of people. And, and there's a lot of guys I know that, I say, man, I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. It's the word of God. If, if it's offensive, it's because there's something within us that needs to get out, get, needs to be cut out by the sword of God. Well, we'll get into that a couple of weeks ago. I, I don't want to get into that part already. I just want you to know, everything is predicated on what Christ has already done. This is a call to something, not just a call away from something. And we really need to hear it in that full light. So he gives us this, and then it's only then that we understand after this foundation is, is poured that all of a sudden he gives us the text for the day, verse 13 and 14. Be subject, that is, uh, in some of your translations, submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be of the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent to him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We get this word, and in, in, in your Bible it may be be subject to, in your translation it may be submit, means the same thing. The Greek word is to put your, uh, to place yourself under. Now, submitting is a voluntary thing. It's, a, it's a, an action of the will. And that's why I like what the Greek word means, to place yourself under. It doesn't mean that you're just placed under. It means place yourself under. If military guys and gals, you were placed under, and they let you know that you're placed under this person because he's got more stripes, Okay? you kind of had to either go with that role or, or not, or, or you're kicked out. That's a little bit different because there's a structure there, and they, and, you know, especially in, in, in boot camp and all that, they make sure you notice really fast who's the authority and that you're not, okay? In real life, when we really get this as a Christian command, this is one of those things that, that Peter is saying, look, there are people in authority but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go step beyond that you're just under these people. I want you to place yourself under these people. Does that make sense? Because there's a big difference. One is an action. The other one is an action that's followed by an attitude. And again, we all understand this. If we're traveling home today and we're going up Highway 11 one way or the other, and all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're going 65, you know, we're ready to eat after church or something like that, and all of a sudden we see one of the finest of Jackson County, 
and one of maybe the sheriff's car or something like that, what do we instinctively do? If we're going, if we're going 65 miles an hour, we place ourselves under the authority of that person, don't we? By our action. Now, the attitude wasn't there. The attitude would be, oh, because there is a sign that says travel 50 or 55 miles an hour. I want to do this. This is an attitude that turns into action. But sometimes just the presence of those in authority, all of a sudden we have the action. We don't always have it predicated by an attitude that just wants to be subservient. Here, the Bible is telling us, Peter is saying, I want you not only have the action of being subservient under this, to, to submit yourself, I want you to have the attitude. See, that's where it starts to cut both ways. See, I have no problem if I have a boss and my very vocational life depends and my very paycheck depends on getting paid this Friday to be subservient. But just because you do what the boss says, does that mean that you have an attitude that is compliant with the boss? You are the best gal ever. I love coming to work. Why? Because I get to see you every day. I get memos from you. See, we can do the action without the attitude. And what Peter calls us into, what Paul called us into, is, okay, look, guys, I want you to have an attitude that then turns into an action. I want you to do the actions of a, of a, of a subservient person, of a person who's submitting. I want you to actually have this attitude. I want you to place yourself under. Now, let's compare it to what Paul said. Because just a couple months ago, and just preaching through, we looked at what it said there in Romans 13. I want you to kind of compare. We can't do the slides side by side, or I didn't do the slides side by side. But look at Romans 13.1 and see how similar this is to what Peter just wrote. We don't know which one wrote it first, which one wrote it second. We just know that they're contemporaries, and they are writing to two different groups of people but they are in the same circumstances. Romans 13.1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So oftentimes we uh, look in the Word of God and we can read something and one person gets this and one person gets this, or we can see two people talking about something. And I've heard people say, Oh, I don't like Pauline theology as if Paul's the one that came up with that theology. Oh, I don't like John's take on this, as if John is the one who is speaking in the place of God and not God speaking through the vessel of John. Guys, if we understand anything about this precious word that we have, God did use personalities. He used a Peter and a Paul and a John and a Luke and others, and he did not void them of their personalities. That's why we get certain things that we just see. Hey, man, Paul is really direct. Hey, John is, hey, let's hug first, then I'll tell you something that may hurt your feelings. You know, but John's going to do it that way because why? He's a granddaddy. He's, you know, he just loves people. And we see their personalities come out. And yet they are speaking the word of God. God is speaking the word. Is this Paul's word, Peter's words, or is it God's word? It's God's word. And and so what we begin to see here is that there's a consistency in this command. It's not always so with leadership. I mean, it's not true today. There's, There's people that believe they'll read this verse and they'll say this. And then there'll be somebody else read that, verse, that same verse and say, okay, here's my interpretation. Even back in Jesus' day, in fact, there was a time when they tried to actually catch Jesus in a trap 
and Matthew 19 when they asked Jesus about divorce. And the reason, if you really want to know the background of what was setting up, there was two leading rabbis of that day, teachers of their day, and one was very, very liberal in their interpretation of what was required for divorce. There was another one that was very, 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 very conservative, and you could even say legalistic, and so, okay, divorce is almost not allowed for almost anything. And so you had this one rabbi over here that was very, very, the straight and the narrow, pretty much no exceptions to the rule. This guy over here, no kidding, guys, no kidding. Hey, if you didn't like the way the eggs were scrambled this morning, if the house isn't quiet, you know, you you can file for divorce. Two wide apart thoughts on this whole subject of divorce. And so they think they're going to trap Jesus, and they said, Jesus, what do you say about divorce? And this is what was in their mind, these two wide, varied opinions. We're not going to speak about that today, but Jesus answers it really quickly. He doesn't take this opinion. He doesn't take that. He said, here's what the Word of God said. And he comes back just to the truth of God's Word. But guys, we live in a day and age where we can read the Scripture and we can get a lot of varied opinions. What I'm trying to point out here is that when we see what Peter says, when we see what Paul says, they are consistent almost as if they borrowed one another's ideas, and they both, as we get into that second point, faced people that were facing the same challenges. Paul is writing to who? In Romans. Don't overthink that one, okay? Okay? The people in Rome. And so they're very familiar with the Caesars. They're very familiar with, you know, this Roman government and and this heaviness of being under that kind of leadership. And the Christians did not like that. Now, if you've been following along, who is Peter writing to? Different churches that are in Asia Minor, and they're Gentiles. They've come to know Christ. But what's happening in their lives? The Rome, these same Romans that are kind of over that part of the world, uh, uh, ruling that part of the world, are persecuting them. And, and people literally are dying. They literally are dying. I, I told you about the, the heinous things. And this is not to, to try to you know, be graphic, so, oh, man, they'll remember that. But guys, things were, I mean, they were hanging people on crosses to, to be a mockery of Christ and lighting them on fire, sometimes for sport, other times simply because they were having a party and they wanted to have that party at night and they would light up their party with it. Cruel, unthinkable. And yet, whether it was Paul writing to the Romans and maybe even people that were in the Colosseum or whether it was Peter who's writing to these churches in Asia Minor, they write to these people that are challenged in the same way. That they're being called to submit to people that are very, very cruel to them. Again, if we had the most gracious boss in the world, it's not hard to submit. See, there's a part of us that it makes sense to place ourselves under authority if those people are very gracious, kind, very, very smart. Have you ever worked for a person that you considered brilliant? Doug, you raised your hand. And and almost like I can imagine that there was many days, Doug, that that you would go to work. When am I going to learn today? Have you ever had a boss like that? And it's exciting. I mean, you're actually excited to go. Now, many of us could tell the other story. My boss could not get out of a wet paper bag if, you know, you know, that somehow you're going, I know five times as much. And you're not trying to be arrogant. You're, you're not trying. You're just telling the truth that your boss does not understand the job or the task at hand better than you do. 
easy to be subservient to submit to, to one when we clearly see that they are authority, they are kind, and they're gracious. Really hard when your family member was one of the ones that was in the Colosseum, when your family member was the one used as a human torch at a party. And yet, God's call comes the same. Okay, can I say something that doesn't seem really holy? That stinks, guys. I mean, this is, I'm always going to deal with you truthfully. That's where the rub is. That's where it really gets hard. And yet, he comes back and he says, okay, here's what I want you to understand. You've got the same command. You've got these same challenges. But I want you to know that it's for this purpose. You're not doing it for this boss. You're doing it for Christ himself. If you go back to that verse, it says, for Christ's sake, for the Lord's sake, depending on how your Bible does it, that when we submit to that boss that we know twice as much as, when we submit to that authority that maybe is not acting out of kindness and graciousness, when we submit, we're not submitting to them as much as we are submitting to the call of Christ. I don't know that any of us, honestly, I don't know that any of us, if Christ walked in this morning, not trying to be sacrilegious at all, if Christ walked in this morning, that if he said, go do this, that we would not, with our best effort, try to go do that. Because we would see him as the supreme authority. We would see him as King of kings and Lord of lords. We would see him as the gracious, kind Savior who came and saved us. And so there's this attitude within us that we just want to serve. And yet, when all of a sudden that face <laughs> is not the face of Christ, but it's the face of our boss, and it's not the graciousness and the kindness of, of Christ, but all of a sudden it's kind of the cruelty, maybe, of a boss, or this or that, that attitude isn't there. But, but will you please hear my heart in this? call is there. Look at verse 15 and 16 real quick. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, no one, do you believe that verse? The normal response is, yes, I believe has every time that you've done that, that you submitted to the will of God and you did good, did it always immediately silence the ignorance of foolish people? No. I think that's the hardest part, is that this is a requirement of faith, okay? We're going on the command of God, we're going on the truth of what God has said, and yet there is a lag time sometimes between what God has said in his command and when we get the final result. And here's the bad news, guys. This is why it stinks, okay? I think we're allowed to say that. Because sometimes that final judgment, that final justice won't be done until we meet God himself. If we could put that verse into action, I think that we would be motivated a lot more, maybe even just motivated in the flesh, to do good because we want to silence ignorant people. And yet when we don't, when there's this lag time of days, weeks, maybe even years, then all of a sudden we lose the enthusiasm. A good friend of mine uh, uh, works with the elite of the elite of, uh, of, of uh, athletes, 
uh, a highly known name in his industry and uh, ran into some problems a couple years back. And uh, this guy's probably got more integrity in his pinky than most of us would have in our entire being. The guy is just a righteous guy. He loves Christ well. Everything that I've ever known about this guy is just a lover of Christ. And yet some accusations were brought against him. They were unfounded. They were untrue. And it was all for the purpose so that they could do some financial things. These other people had a financial motivation. Day after day, I would text him in the morning, this verse and other verses. I wanted to pastor this guy. I wanted to love this guy. I wanted to encourage him because this is a guy of tremendous faith. And at the same time, I know, man, when people are just speaking bad about you and you really haven't done bad and you're just trying to go the right way, it gets really tiresome. And yet every day, almost every day, I would text him a different verse, try to encourage him, until finally it all worked out. It all worked out. And, and, and actually, he was very, very blessed in the, in the end. My point is, that's one of the most righteous guys that I know. This is one of the guys that has the strongest faith of almost anybody that I know. And yet, I can only imagine that you want to do the right thing for the right reason, have the right attitude so you can have the right action. And even then, because of that lag time, sometimes we just get discouraged. You understand that? And so that's why he goes, look, man, here's the truth. That in the long run, foolish people, their foolishness will show. Go back to Proverbs and we can see proverb after proverb after proverb about this. But the problem is, it didn't happen on Monday or on Tuesday or next week. And so we get faint in our faith. Verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. There's the call, guys. You're living as servants of God. You may work at ABC Factory, and John Smith may be your supervisor or your boss. And John Smith may have the ability at an ABC company to say, you either work here or you don't work here. You either get a raise or you don't get a raise. And it's hard in our humanity not to think that somehow John Smith really commands our life. And that's where Peter and Paul both want us to take a step back and say, look, they're not in command of your life. They are not in command of your life. Almighty sovereign God is in command of your life. But it's hard to see that in the office, in the cubicle. It's hard to see that when you're going, am I going to have a paycheck to pay and provide for my family this week? Are you tracking with me? I mean, does, does that make sense? And this is always the friction of our faith. But just because there's friction in our faith does not reduce this high call that Christ has placed upon us. We do it. We're servants of God. He built this foundation. He said, this is why you're the called out people. This is why, remember when we talked about how he said that we were aliens in a foreign land? That's, where, that's one of the methods that Peter uses to say, step back. You think you live in Jackson County, Georgia? You don't. You're a citizen of heaven. You're an alien there. And yet on a day-by-day basis, doesn't it seem like we live in Barrow or, you know, Jackson County or in, in these parts? That's from my granddaddy. I don't think I've ever said that my entire life, from these parts. <laughs> my granddaddy just jumped out of me right there. <laughs> Does that make sense, though? 
that the Bible, the Word of God, because of the graciousness of Christ, is always going, look, I, I want you to get a true perspective of who you really are because you can really buy into this temporary perspective. You can really tie into this identity. And I want you to know that your identity is in Christ and Christ alone. You're a citizen of heaven. You just happen to live as an alien in this place right now. And folks, that's where the attitude changes. See, the actions can change simply because I still want to have a job and I'm going to get a paycheck on Friday. That's not really all that hard. That's called survival. But having an attitude that you would place yourself under authority, whether that's a boss, whether it's this, whether it's you know, elders in the church. I mean, he actually is going to speak about that in the verses to come in a couple of weeks. You know, what, what does it mean to, to be under elders? And what do these feeble guys, elders... You know, why should they be in charge? Really tough stuff. Verse 17. Bottom line. A lot of you are bottom line kind of people. Here's the bottom line. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Basically, he says... I want you to honor not just those in authority. I want you to honor everybody. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. Because we are image bearers, he said, be respectful and be considerate. Be kind to everybody. Give a certain amount of respect and honor to every human being. Why? Because they're gracious people? They're kind? No, because they're made in the image of God. Then he moves on, and then he says, okay, love the brotherhood. This is the brotherhood. This is the sisterhood, okay? Love the people that are the people of God. And then he goes into these last two. And I want you to look at the nuances there. He says, fear God. Now, he's using this word honor over and over again. It's a repetitive word. Why doesn't he say just honor God? Why does he say fear God? Because he realizes that the highest call is that we're to fear God. And this isn't that kind of scared fear, but it is including that scared fear. It is an awe of who he is. So he said, I I want you to fear God. In other words, ultimately, this is the one that you're going to serve even when you're out there honoring the emperor. I don't know who the emperor is in your life. He really could be your boss. It could be your spouse. It could be your parents. I don't know who God has placed in authority over you guys and in every situation and where you kind of want to buck against that, how you kind of, man, I just I don't know about this, and where you want to push back. All I know is that in their day, there was no question when, when Peter wrote, honor the emperor, who it was. And that it cut deeply in the hearts of many of those people. That many of those people, not all of them, but many of those people, had lost a mom or a dad, a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, to this persecution of Nero or Claudius. They knew firsthand what it meant to be under a tyrant. So how could a man of God ever come in and say, honor the emperor. 
fear God. Because he's placed us under authority. Because there will be times, let me encourage you. I know this is a heavy message. Let me encourage you. There will be times, guys, that we actually see the fruit of those verses. That you'll do good. I, I can give you stories of people. They did the right thing. They honored Christ. They went out there and they kept the very presence and the mind of Christ as they dealt with one another and dealt with really difficult family members, very, very difficult church members, very difficult whatever it was. And, and, and then they said, you know, it didn't happen overnight. But, you know, in about three months, that person came to me and, and they started asking me about what this hope was that I had in me. So I don't know who your emperor is. And, and I don't know the timeline you're on. I just know the call of Christ. And that's all I can preach. God, he, he doesn't put conditions here. It's hard. It can be abrasive. It is very, very personal. And yet God in his intimacy, he extends this call to us. God's both ways. The sword, this, this word of God, so good when we're fighting temptation that we find out that Christ fills us, that the very spirit of God fills us as Christians. And yet there's this, point, this part that's pointing back to us it says, okay, now this high call, because of what Christ has done, here, here's how it kind of cuts back on you. Here's what God calls you to do. Tough stuff. And that's why he didn't give you a cape. That's why none of us are called to be super Christians. That's why he built this all on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Tomorrow, guys, don't go out there and try to out-moralize one another. Just follow Christ well, even in the hard places. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, in an age and day of kind of entitlement, uh, where we feel like, hey, if if this is our opinion, it, it needs to be heard. And we need to blog this somewhere. We need to write it down. We need to make sure that people are hearing what we think about. It is hard for us in this kind of culture, in this kind of entitled kind of mindset when we think much of our thoughts and much of our opinions. Father, it's hard when we read in your word and it says, place yourself under authority. So God, will you show us who the emperors of our life are? So that not only can we have the action of submission, but Father, we can have the attitude of submission. Father, build our faith that that as we go out and we do what you've called us to do, that maybe even in this lifetime we will see the fruit of that and hearts and lives would be changed. But Father, even if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, help us to know, Father, that we've just been faithful to this high call that you've placed upon us. We love you, Father. We thank you that you went before us, Father. We read in Philippians 2. Father, this beautiful story, how you, holy God, submitted yourself and emptied yourself to death, even death on the cross for us. Thank you that you have led the way in in the actions of Christ Jesus. Give us that heart. Give us that mind. 
Give us that attitude, Father, as we pray all these in the hope of Christ, in the finished work of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.